Good morning. Welcome this All Saints Sunday to Queen Anne Lutheran Church, a place of grace, a place of welcome, a place of good news. As you'll see, the service, like last week, differs slightly from the way we normally conduct the service. We'll have a brief order of confession and forgiveness in a moment. We will then uh, have a procession of the choir. The Nicene Creed, rather than the Apostles' Creed, uh, will be our creed for today. And of course, there is also an entry for the commemoration of the faithfully departed. As a gift to yourself and your neighbor, we invite you at this time, please, to silence your phones. We continue to observe COVID-related precautions, so please, if you are receiving communion at the rail, be sure to use sanitizer beforehand. We also have communables and masks out on the narthex table. Please rise now as you are able for confession and forgiveness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Most merciful God, we confess In the mercy of Almighty God, Jesus Christ was given to die for you, and for his sake, God forgives you all your sins. To those who believe in Jesus Christ, he gives the power to become the children of God and bestows on them the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our processional hymn, Rejoice in God's Saints, is number 418 in the Red Hymnal.
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Gracious God, you bring us together as the body of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Grant us grace to follow your saints in lives of faith and commitment and to glimpse here and now joys you have prepared for those who love you. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever.
Please be seated. The book of Revelation is written to seven churches in Western Asia Minor during a time of great oppression. Today's reading is a response to the question asked in 617, who is able to stand? The writer gives the faithful the assurance of God's protection and a vision of victory. A reading from the book of Revelation. After this, I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, singing, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, robed in white, and where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you are the one that knows. Then he said to me, These are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and worship him day and night within his temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of the water of life and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God.
A saint is one who has been set apart by God for God's purposes. God, out of divine love, set us apart to be the children of God. Our holy hope is that we shall see God as God really is. A reading from the first letter of John. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. Please rise for the reading of the gospel. Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Grace to you and peace from God, the Creator, and from Jesus, the Christ. Amen. Have you ever noticed that sometimes a story can change everything? Here's one I heard recently from a friend of the congregation shortly after my mother died 
last January. When my daughter Jessica was four, she writes, I was putting her to bed one night when she asked me, who do you love more, God or me? (laughs) It's quite a question to a parent from a four-year-old. It took me a few moments to respond, she continues. I told her that I loved her more than God because she was right there with me and I could hold and hug her. Her answer was, God will understand. God will understand. Now initially when I heard these words, I felt as though an immense burden had been lifted. Why? Because for weeks after my mother died, I couldn't pray to God. I could only talk to my mother. In so doing, I felt guilty. After all, as we read in the book of Exodus, as well as in the uh, work of the prophet Nahum, the Lord our God is a jealous God who demands our absolute fidelity, loyalty, focus, and trust. Yet here, in the words of a child, spoken from the mouth of babes, as Jeremiah says, came a consoling counter-perspective. Three simple words. God will understand. God will understand. Now it's true, the Bible does say that ours is a jealous God. And the context for this is quite simple. The Israelites at the time were bordered by various uh, other peoples who each had their respective tribal deity, like Baal, the storm god. In that context, the first and second commandments of the Hebrew scriptures, the ten, they talk about how loyalty needs to be not toward those so-called foreign gods, but to the God of Israel. This is why it's said that God is jealous. God demanded their fidelity in the midst of idolatrous temptations. More often, however, the Bible presents another side of God, one whose compassion, as Psalm 145 says, extends to all creation, a God who will and does understand our suffering, our frailty, and our grief. Consider Psalm 103, which we read at my mother's funeral. As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. I prefer the translation, for those who stand in awe of him. For he knows how we were made. He remembers that we are dust. This is the only writing of its kind I can find in the Hebrew Bible where God extends compassion to us because of our mortality, because that we are frail, because life is fragile, fleeting, and permanent, and ultimately dust. I think about the molecules that glue together my own body, and I 
see it as almost a kind of brief marriage uh, for a short time, reminding myself as, uh, as I think of this, how I too uh, am mortal and will come to an end. God remembers that we are dust. The incarnation of God in Christ confirms that through his birth, life, and death, God not only understands our plight, our suffering, our mortality, God identifies with it. God in Christ, as it were, experiences firsthand the anxiety we have over death as evident in Luke 22, where Jesus, anticipating his crucifixion, sweat. And this sweat became, Luke says, like great drops of blood falling on the ground. God in Christ understands our anxiety over death. Jesus sweat like drops of blood in the garden before his own. God in Christ also experiences what it's like to mourn, as evident in the story of Lazarus, according to John chapter 11, where upon learning that the one he loved, Lazarus, had died, Jesus did what? He wept. God understands. Yet in Revelation 7, our first reading, as well as Matthew 5, our gospel reading for today, God does more than understand our pain. God promises to do something about it. Take a look, if you will, at our first reading, Revelation chapter 7, verse 14b. That is the second half of that verse. Boy, talk about awareness of my own frailty and mortality. Now come on the reading glasses. Verse 14b, the author writes, Then he, that is the angel of the Lord, said to me, These are they who have come out of the great ordeal. Now to what is this author referring in context? Well, as most scholars will tell you, the book of Revelation was written in two parts. Part of it was written during the time of Nero, who was famous for persecuting Christians. The other part of it was written at the end of the first century under the domain of Domitian, uh, who is also, like Nero, famous for persecuting Christians. What's fascinating to me is that shortly after Nero's, I'm sorry, Domitian's reign ended, the suffering of Christians ceased, at least relatively uh, for a while, um, thanks be to God. So God notices or affirms or observes how these people came out of the great ordeal, out of persecution under two emperors who were opposed to the emerging Christian faith. But notice what comes next. God promises to do something about their plight to do something about their suffering. Take a look at verses 15 through 17. <laughs> now I'm just gonna hold this right next to my face. Um, God promises to shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. 
The sun will not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. We see the same thing in Matthew 5, our gospel reading for today. There, or rather, let me restate that. Presumably, this is why Jesus promises that the poor in spirit will be blessed. Now, blessing has a couple meanings here. It could mean happy are they. I preferred satisfied are they. So Jesus promises that somehow the poor in spirit would be blessed. The poor in spirit would mean those in despair, the source of which I'll explain in a moment. This is also why those who mourn will be comforted. The question for me is how? How in the midst of persecution and loss will the Jewish Christians to whom Matthew is speaking a people who had, with the destruction of their temple in the year 70, lost their place in this world. How will they be comforted? It's not just whether God understands, but how will they be comforted? And here's the relevance for each person in this room. How, moreover, might you and I glimpse or experience the comfort Jesus promises as we remember today those whom we have lost. How will you and I be comforted on a day as we acknowledge and remember those we have lost? Our mothers or fathers, our grandparents, a sibling, a spouse, a son or daughter, an aunt or uncle, a close friend or associate. By extension, how might we be comforted at the end of a chapter of life? At the loss, for example, of work that gave us meaning, or as we lose our abilities with the, uh, with the process of aging. I think the Bible, in conjunction with common experience, offers four ways we can be comforted in the face of Greece Grief, grief and loss. Let's look at them briefly. Number one. Now, if I had screens here, which I'm not saying we will, number one would read, using the words of C.S. Lewis, we can be surprised by joy. That's one way we can be comforted. Do you ever have the moment where a wave of light suddenly and unexpectedly breaks into the darkness of your grief? Perhaps it's in the midst of family, or friends, or in the context of Christian fellowship, that you find yourself momentarily forgetting the pain and bereavement you are experiencing. If you say yes, then you know what it's like, however briefly, to be surprised in the context of grief by joy. The psalmist gives perfect expression of what it means to be surprised by joy. Verse 30, chapter 30 verse, I'm sorry, yeah, chapter 30 verse five. Weeping may linger in the night, but joy comes in the morning. Doesn't for me, 
not a morning person, but joy comes with the morning. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but I've had the experience of going to bed with all kinds of worries and fears, only to wake up the next day and feel as though I've been renewed or revived. I am in those moments surprised by joy. It's the first way we can be comforted. The second in relation to, first, to the first is this. This too shall pass. You know that phrase. It's one that doesn't appear verbatim in the Bible. Nevertheless, several passages come close. 2 Corinthians 4.17, for example. Paul writes, For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Notice those words, slight momentary affliction. Paul recognizes that the pain that comes from punishment for his faith, the persecution he's experienced, the hardship, the calamities, the hunger, the fear, this too shall pass. And it makes even more sense when we know it comes from a man who experienced debilitation throughout his entire adult ministry. We know from his letters that he had trouble seeing. We also know, according to the same text, 2 Corinthians, that he had a thorn in his flesh, which many scholars believe to be a reference to either malaria or epilepsy. So here was a man, in some cases crippled by pain and hardship, able to recognize at the same time, this too shall pass. We see a similar sentiment, surprisingly, in Ecclesiastes 1-2, where the author writes, vanity of vanities, says the teacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Well, vanity is probably better translated meaningless. Meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, the author says. Why does he say that? Well, in the Hebrew, the word is hevel, which means puff of wind or smoke. Everything accordingly is meaningless insofar as nothing lasts. I am dust, you are dust, we are all dust. So everything is meaningless is a recognition that as time goes on, this too, whatever we're experiencing in the moment, will pass. All things change. Change, it would seem, is the only constant in life. But perhaps the best way to understand the sentiment of this too shall pass is to translate it in terms of hope. Here's a quotation I shared with you uh, several months ago from a book on understanding your grief. The author writes, hope is the feeling you have that the feeling you have isn't permanent. Love that. Hope is the feeling you have that the feeling you have isn't permanent. This too shall pass. Hope is the assurance that God will have the last word, and that word is life. More concretely, those of you who have experienced depression, something with which I struggle, know that it often comes to us like a storm. What do you do in the midst of the storm? You get out of its way and you wait for it to pass. I have learned to watch my depression. 
and recognize even in the middle of the storm that the storm will not continue forever. This too shall pass. Number three, we can be comforted through the consolation we receive from our siblings in Christ. According to Mark Allen Powell, a Lutheran uh, scripture scholar, the Beatitudes, which we read in our gospel reading for today, can be fundamentally reduced to two verses of a hymn regarding what it means to live together in Christian fellowship. Now, if you take a look at your bulletin, you'll notice that the formatting changes beginning with verse three. That's because, according to Powell, this is a hymn that Jesus adopted for his preaching. A hymn that Jesus adopted, or indeed produced, for his preaching. Powell argues that these eight verses of the Beatitudes can actually be reduced to two. The first four verses acknowledges people who are afflicted. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger for righteousness or justice. Blessed are the poor in spirit, whose life is in shambles after, in the case of Matthew, the central place of worship for Jews, the temple had been destroyed by the Romans. Blessed are these people. Satisfied these people will be. The second four verses refer not to those who are afflicted, but to people who are called to comfort the afflicted, you and me, manifesting the kingdom of God in the process. Now, how does this happen at Queen Anne Lutheran Church? One of the things that I notice and love to see is when somebody in bereavement uh, has another person or another person has volunteered to cook and serve them meals. That's how we comfort the afflicted. A card in the mail, a phone call, a short visit. These are all ways that we can comfort those who are poor in spirit or those who mourn. I think here about why we attend church. You know, our broader culture says, I don't go to church, I don't get anything out of it. Well, maybe the reason you're here is not for you, but for someone else. Somebody you might comfort. Somebody, as Jean did when I walked through those doors, said, you got this. That's comforting the anxious, but more broadly, it can be comforting the afflicted. You are not only here for yourself. Perhaps today or next Sunday, you will be called to comfort someone in need. Before our first service, we had a gentleman who had lost his ability to walk was leaning against the chapel door. When I came in, Dolly Smith was standing by him. Some of you know Dolly, she is a nurse. She was comforting the afflicted. We were able to get him help, an ambulance, and hopefully clothing and food. That's what we're called to do. So the third way we can be comforted is through the consolation we receive from our siblings in Christ. We've now seen three ways we can be comforted according to scripture as well as common human experience. We can be in the midst of family or fellowship surprised by joy. We can be comfort knowing that this too shall pass. 
we can receive consolation from others in the body of Christ. One of my favorite verses here comes from Paul. It's in Galatians chapter 6 where he says, the only law is the law of love. And love invites us to bear one another's burdens. Now the fourth and final way I would argue that we can be comforted is the most significant. And I want you each to hear this very closely. In life, there are some losses so big that nothing will be, bring comfort except for reunion. Let me repeat that. In life, there are some losses so big that nothing will produce comfort except for reunion. When I was an intern pastor many years ago in the cold rural lands of Minnesota, I remember a young man who came to me whose brother had been killed in a motorcycle accident three years prior. He explained his grief like this. For me, his death was first here, right in front of me. He says, now it's here. But for my parents, their grief will always be here. For them, the loss of their son was so great that nothing could bring comfort to them except for the promise of reunion something we anticipate every week when we celebrate the Eucharist as a foretaste of the feast to come. When the English poet Alfred Tennyson lost his closest friend, he turned to scripture and its promise of a future age or celebration in the life of the world to come. And I shall know him when we meet, Tennyson writes, and we shall sit at endless feast enjoying each the other's good. This is the greatest consolation scripture provides. We will meet again. God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death, continuing with the book of Revelation, will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. Now, of these four forms of consolation, for me personally, the one I struggle with is believing the last, that we will experience reunion with those we've loved and lost in the coming age of, uh, of, of the Messiah. And yet, as I told my mom shortly before she died, mom, if love is stronger than death, then I will see you again. That is my hope, that love actually wins and that I will see my mother once more. I no longer even think much about my own death. The only thing I want is reunion with mom. And I suspect that is perhaps the same for many of you. The only thing you want is reunion with your mother or father, your deceased husband or wife, your son who, or daughter who died untimely. It's true. Sometimes a story can change everything. If your grief displaces God, 
such that you can only think of the loved one you had who had died, let four-year-old Jessica remind you that God will understand, that God is big enough for your grief, that God isn't ultimately jealous and compassionate, loving, gracious, and merciful. May each of us who grieve this All Saints Day be comforted in whatever form of consolation I listed, whatever speaks to us the most. And all God's people said, Amen.
Please remain standing as you are able as we confess the words of our faith in the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, For the commemoration of the faithfully departed, we invite you to remain standing as you are able. We give you thanks, O Lord our God, for all your servants and witnesses of times past. For Moses, lawgiver and Aaron. For Deborah and Gideon, for Isaiah and all the prophets, for Stephen the first martyr, in your mercy give us as you gave them the hope of salvation and the promise of everlasting life. We remember those who together with us stood at the foot of the cross, who heard the Easter truths at the empty tomb, who have gone before us into the depth and mystery of God. Ben Matter. Malcolm Unseth. Keith Dibble. Janet Bush. William Bush. The congregations now invited to name any loved ones you wish to remember this All Saints. Please say their name from where you are standing. Mary Reese. Duff Graham. Betty Perry. Dogs 
Olga Peterson. Louise Steiner. Cameron Steffen. the prayers of the church, we invite you to be seated or kneel, whichever your preference. Let us turn our hearts to God, our breath, and life as we pray for the church, the world, and all who are in need. Holy God, encourage and uphold your church around the world. We thank you for your word, which uplifts and renews us. Lead bishops, pastors, deacons, and all members of your church in lives worthy of you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Creating God, revive your creation where it is neglected, misused, or abused. Support advocates for eco-justice. Inspire endeavors that aid and empower communities affected by hazardous waste, poor air, and polluted waters. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Righteous God, accompany our nation as it prepares for elections. Protect voters, voting officials, poll workers, and journalists. Guide leaders around the world that fair and wise decisions show care for all, especially those society has forgotten or mistreated. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Nurturing God, bring relief to those carrying heavy burdens. We pray for those in difficult home situations, for foster children, and for all who are in jails or prison. Strengthen those burdened by chronic pain, grief, or other illness. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Redeeming God, bring peace to this war-torn world and inspire peacemakers, especially those in the Middle East, Ukraine, and Sudan. Lord, in your mercy, Hear our prayer. 
For whom or what else do the people of God pray? Holy God, we ask your blessing upon each person gathered here this morning, that you comfort those of us who mourn, that you help us and surprise us by joy, that you remind us that this too shall pass, that you inspire others to console us in our grief, and that you give us faith of your promise of reunion in the life of the world to come. We pray especially for Mary Jacob, for John, Reese, and family in memory of his mother Mary. We pray for Elizabeth, for Dalen, for Andrew and family in memory of their mother Reva, for Charlene, for Samuel, for the family of Bill and Janet, for Lisa's husband, Scott, for Peggy's colleague, Kirsten, for Bill Kavanaugh, for Dotsie in this time of transition. We pray for Heidi in memory of her brother, for Dennis Malcolm. We pray for the family of Pat Durham, for the family of Dan, for Matt's mother, Jeannie, for Chris and Jackie, for the Ritchie family, for Pat, her sister Donna, and niece Kathleen. We pray for Finley, Richard, Awatash, Mulugeta, Jean, Jan, Richard, Barb, Denny, Hildy, Mary, Carol, and Lisa. Lord, in your mercy. Everlasting God, your love never fails. Today we remember those who have returned to the ground, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, especially those who have died in the past year. Give us hope for the unexpected. Surprise us that we may be reunited with those whom we love in the life of the world to come. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We offer our spoken prayers and those held in our hearts, trusting in your mercy through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Please rise as you are able. The peace of Christ be with you always. Let us share a sign of that peace with one another.
Please rise as you are able for the great thanksgiving. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is indeed right, our duty and our joy, that we should at all times and in all places give thanks and praise to you, almighty and merciful God, through our Savior Jesus Christ. By the witness of the saints, you show us the hope of our calling and strengthen us to run the race set before us, that we may delight in your mercy and rejoice with them in glory. And so with all the choirs of angels, with the church on earth and the hosts of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread and gave thanks, broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Again after supper he took the cup, gave thanks and gave it for all to drink saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. Lord, as we prepare ourselves for this holy act of sharing, let us pray as Jesus teaches. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. We forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial. In this place of grace, all without exception are welcome to the table of grace. If you receive communion at the railing, uh, or if you find yourself at the railing and wish to receive a blessing in place of communion, simply fold your arms. An explanation of the Eucharist and what it means can be found in 
your bulletin, Come and Taste the Joy of God. For those of you communing from your pews, this is the body of Christ given for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. You may be seated.
May that be the song we hear on the road to eternity. Please rise as you are able for our post-communion prayer. Lord Jesus, in this simple meal, you have set a banquet. Sustain us on the journey. Strengthen us to care for the least of your beloved children. And give us glad and generous hearts as we meet you on the way. Amen. You may be seated for announcements. How wonderful to see you all here today. If you are a newcomer to this congregation, please fill out a pew card in front of you. We'd love to stay in touch. We certainly uh, hope to see you again. We also have uh, prayer requests uh, in the pew in front of you as well. Today was a special day for music, and so on behalf of the congregation, I would like to thank Roberta Hanson Downey for her beautiful cello playing. Thank you for being with us today. Altar flowers today are provided by our own Shirley Flory. To the glory of God and in thanksgiving for all the saints who are among us and who have gone before us. Shirley, you are one of those saints. Thank you for being here today. Our worship continues with the third sacrament, coffee, after uh, the service with uh, thanks to uh, Bill and Joan Kavanaugh for hosting today. A few other announcements. On uh, the first, beginning on the first Tuesday of November, we have the opportunity to serve those who are unhoused at the community lunch on Capitol Hill. We do this four Tuesdays in November, and it would be wonderful to see you there. I plan on being at at least one. It's a very meaningful experience being there to help others. So if you can join me, um, please do. There is a sign-up sheet in the narthex. Next. Forums in November, we have a bunch of them. You may wonder why these topics are what they are, including today's scripture and the subordination of women. Well, the answer is this is what members of the congregation requested. So we were joined today by Professor Lynn Hofstad, an independent scholar formerly of Seattle University, who uh, gave us the first of two talks on how scripture has been interpreted to subordinate women and then what we might do as inclusive egalitarian Christians in response. A memorial for Bill and Janet Bush will be held here at 1 p.m. on Saturday, November 11th. There will be a reception in the Bayview Retirement Community. We have multiple choirs joining us for this, so uh, please uh, join us in person or in spirit as you are able. Two additional forums we recently introduced on 11:19. We will be uh, talking about the conflict in Gaza. I don't know about you, but whenever I see the news, I get confused. I don't know. I don't know which perspective to trust. So we're inviting in a professor from SPU with expertise in the area, Dr. Elizabeth Walter, for what I assume and can almost promise will be a very informative uh, uh, conversation. On the 26th, also related to the conflict in Gaza, we'll be joined by Dr. Sarah Shaban of Seattle Pacific University on media narratives and misinformation. I hope to see you there. I also hope that one of you today 
will be moved by the Spirit to lead the appeal for donations for the Triangle Project. Otherwise, I have to hunt for you individually, and you don't want that. Nobody does, me, me included. So please, if you feel moved, um, step up. Uh, this is an opportunity to expand our mission in terms of our property itself, to open the church to people and invite them to be with us as you are today. Are there any other announcements for the good of the congregation? Then please rise as you are able for the benediction. Bless you, my king. The Lord make his face to shine on you.